portion of God's Word that we will focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I don't know if, if you follow the, uh, the Facebook and the Instagram and you've been seeing the pictures that I've been seeing lately, but a lot of our friends are in warm places. At least they have been over the last few weeks. And so now that we're all enjoying winter and have had a few straight cloudy days with plenty of cold weather, I thought we'd take a little trip to the beach. What do you say? The portion of God's word that you just heard is set in an incredibly beautiful beach community. It's about 70 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It's a town called Caesarea. It's still there today. And I encourage you, go on your your computer when you get home or maybe do it on your phone and search Caesarea Israel and go to Google Maps and just look at the pictures that you'll see of the area. It's absolutely gorgeous. And when I was at church this morning, I, I actually did pull it up on my weather app. It was 3 p.m. in Caesarea at 7 a.m. here. It was 72 and, and sunny, and the 10 days looking very nice. They're going to be in the high 70s for a couple days here with lots and lots of sun. So keep that in your mind. That's where this is taking place. Caesarea on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, the western side of, of Israel. In Caesarea was a man named Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. Our English word century comes from the Latin word for 100. And so a centurion was a Roman soldier who was a man in authority over at least 100 soldiers. He was a part of the Italian regiment that was stationed in Caesarea. And one day, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, kind of funny, I I thought, that I checked the weather this morning at 7 a.m. It was 3 p.m. in Caesarea. That's exactly when our text took place. 3 p.m. in the afternoon in Caesarea, Cornelius has a vision. An angel of the Lord comes to him with this message. Cornelius, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So from one oceanside vista to another, Cornelius, this this Roman, was a God-fearing man. He had come to know the true God. He often prayed to the Lord and and shared his gifts with the poor. He, He knew his sin and he knew his 
Savior, Jesus. And this angel comes and says, send someone to go get Peter and have him come back. And so Cornelius sends two of his servants with his most trusted soldier, and the three of them go down the coast from Caesarea to Joppa, 40 miles. Google Maps says it's a 12-hour and 38-minute walk. So we got a, a good day and a half worth of travel. Beautiful road. You can actually follow it on Google Maps. You could see where they might have walked right down the coastline from Caesarea to Joppa, 40 miles south, in search of Simon Peter, who's in the house of a man named Simon the Tanner, right by the sea. While they're on their way, Peter does not yet know what's happening. He doesn't know that they're coming. He goes up on the rooftop to pray. I imagine that was quite a beautiful place. Rooftop, vista, at an oceanfront property. Peter goes up there, a beautiful place, to look out at the sea and to pray to his God. While he's praying, he he gets hungry, and they're preparing a meal downstairs, and he can probably smell the food, and we're told he falls into a trance and he sees a vision, a vision from heaven. Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter's sitting there, wondering about this vision. What does this mean? And while he's thinking about the vision, still hungry, the three men sent from Cornelius arrive at Simon the Tanner's house, and they ask for Peter. And you'd think, oh, that's when the servant's going to go up and get Peter. But no, the Lord comes to Peter again. And he says, Peter, go downstairs. There are three men waiting for you. I have sent them. Go with them. So Peter goes down. He greets these men that he now knows are coming. He invites them into Simon the Tanner's house. They eat together, spend the rest of the day together, and then early the next morning, begin the journey back north to Caesarea. They travel for most of the day, take a break, and then finish the journey the next day. And that's when they arrive at the house of Cornelius. And when they get there, Cornelius falls flat on his face before Peter. Peter says, stand up. I am only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. This is now inside Cornelius' home. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. 
Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And that is where our text picks up. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The most remarkable thing to me about this entire account is where Peter was at right before the vision. A lot of scholars think that this took place about 37 A.D., Jesus is thought to have ascended into heaven around 30 AD. So if you do the math, Peter was with Jesus for three years. And now this is about seven years after that. So Peter has been focusing on what the word of God says for three years under the feet of the son of God himself. And now he's been continuing to grow in God's word and been preparing to go share the gospel of sins forgiven in Jesus with the world. 10 years have passed since this journey began. And Peter still, before this vision, did not understand, not truly, what it meant to be a descendant of Abraham. Why God chose Abraham and what this all meant. Abraham was not chosen by God because he was some special kind of human. It's not as though God was sitting on his heavenly throne looking at all the men alive on earth during the time of Abraham and said, aha, now here is the one. This man, he is the one through whom I will send my promised Savior because he is unlike all the others. No, that's not what happened. Not at all. There was nothing special about Abraham. Nothing at all. He was just like you and me. Every bit as sinful as you and me. He was nothing, he was no different from anyone else on the face of the planet. So why would God choose him. It was a lesson in grace. A lesson in love that is shown to people who do not deserve it, who have done nothing to earn it. That's Abraham. Why did God choose him? Because God is gracious. It's as simple as that. There was absolutely nothing special about Abraham at all, and the same is true about his descendants. And so why would God set apart Abraham and his descendants? It was merely to keep them focused on the promised Savior who would come from their line, but be for all nations. And on top of it all, Peter shows us that he did not really understand the point of all those Old Testament laws about clean and unclean, pure and impure. We could spend a lifetime just studying the things that we find in Leviticus to better understand it, but since Peter sees a sheet full of not kosher food, let's just talk about food. In Leviticus chapter 11, we have this very short little instruction that God's people were given. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and choose the cud. But then it goes on to say, if it has a divided hoof, but does not chew cud, can't eat it. This is why pigs are off limits. 
pigs have the, the split hoof, but they do not chew cud, and so pigs were unclean, could not eat them. But then you have an animal like a camel. Camels chew cud, but they don't have a split hoof. It might look at it, it might look like it at first, but they actually have more of a paw with toes that have nails, and they're not actually hooves. So you can't eat the meat of a camel. And the list went on and on and on. The only thing they could eat, it had to chew the cud and have the split hoof if it lived on the land. If it was in the sea, they could only eat it if it had fins and scales. No fins or no scales, can't eat it. It's got to have both. No lobster, no shrimp, no crab. It had to have fins and scales. Then there were rules about birds. If it was any kind of scavenger bird, could not eat it. There were rules about insects and reptiles. Couldn't eat reptiles. Couldn't eat certain kinds of insects. If you did, you became impure. You were unclean. If you so much as stepped on a lizard walking outside of your home, you were unclean. Certainly could not eat it. What was the point of all this? What was the point? God had so many laws about things that you could do that would make you unclean, about things that could happen to you without your control that would make you unclean, about things that could happen completely by accident that would make you unclean. The the list was so long, it was only a matter of time before you'd become unclean. You could try as hard as you wanted. You would certainly, at some point, become unclean and need to become clean again. What was the point? God was teaching his people that they need to be clean to be in his presence. But there's a problem. They weren't clean. They were no different from the Gentiles who lived around them, even though they had been set apart. They were unclean too. And it was this constant reminder of their uncleanness that reminded them that they needed God's promise. You see, it was always about the promise. The promise that God made to Adam and Eve and then again to Abraham and to his descendants. God always wanted to keep his people's eyes focused on the promise itself and the need for that promise. That this promised Messiah, this Christ, would make them clean once and for all. But sadly, what happened? God's people often fell into a trap. A trap where they thought they were better than the people around them. That God chose Abraham because he was special. That God gave them a special diet because they were special. Because there was something objectively wrong about pigs and something objectively right about cattle. It wasn't true. But it's a trap that you and I fall into all the time, just like them. We might not live a a kosher diet and live according to the Levitical law, but we don't need these kinds of things to show us that we do the same thing that God's people often fell into. We may not use words like clean and unclean, pure and impure, but we all have an idea of what a dirty human looks like. We know it when we see it, And we're good at comparing ourselves to that other person who's unclean. Making ourselves clean. 
We do it all the time, far more often than we'd like to admit. We see another human who's not like us, who doesn't speak like us or act like us or do the things that we do. And even if it's just in the back of our mind, we start to look down on that person simply because they're, they're different. It's sin. It's wrong. It's wrong for us to act as though we're better than anyone else. We're not. We're unclean. We need to be made clean. And that's why it's such good news to hear what Peter says to this Roman centurion and his entire family and all of his friends who have gathered that day. Listen again. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Peter points to what Cornelius and his family already knew about Jesus, that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Christ. And an amazing thing happens. He proves it with a word from the Greek word Christ. Ekrisso. The same word that gives us Christus. Peter says Jesus was ekrissoed with the Holy Spirit and power when he was baptized. You know how we talk about the, the word Messiah means anointed one, the, the word Christ means anointed one? Christus, in Greek, Jesus' title has a verbal form as well. And that's the word that Peter uses here. Pointing back to Jesus' baptism. What happened when the Holy Spirit came down from heaven, when John the Baptist saw that happen? Jesus was being ekrisod, anointed, with the Holy Spirit and with power. God was saying, this one, the one I anoint with my Holy Spirit, the one that I talked about in Isaiah chapter 42 when I said, I will place my Holy Spirit on him. He is the Christ. He is the promised descendant of Abraham who will make all people clean. He's the one who through faith in this Jesus, everyone who believes in him becomes clean. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Doesn't matter what sins you've committed in the past. It doesn't matter how dirty anyone thinks you are. It doesn't matter how dirty you think someone else is. Jesus died to make them clean. And through faith in him, they are made clean. This is why the Christ was born. This is why the Christ lived a pure, clean, holy life. 
This is why his holy life was sacrificed for the sins of the world. And this is why he rose from the dead. It was to make what is unclean clean. Not for a little while, not so that we could step on a lizard and become unclean again, but so that we could be clean once and for all. And what's true for you in Jesus is true for anyone that you meet. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor. It doesn't matter what you think about them. All that matters is that Jesus has died for them too. And so that's how we approach ministry here at Mount Olive. We gather together, impure people, to hear that Jesus has made us clean and what he's done for us, he's done for all. And so we make it our goal this year once again to do everything we can to share this good news of the Christ, the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit to make all clean with anyone who will listen. You're going to hear a lot more about different ways that we're going to work together in the next few months to try to do this, to try to share Jesus with anyone who will listen. Yes, the people who come to this church regularly, but also with people who have not yet heard. I'm going to come and and visit with you. And I'm going to talk to you, maybe in your homes, maybe on Zoom, whatever you're most comfortable with. I want to talk to you about people that you know who don't know Jesus and what he's done for them. We'll pray for those people together. We'll try to figure out ways to work together to share Jesus with them. We'll work together as a congregation to support the ministry of the Bay Area Life Center, reaching new people every single day who are willing to listen to God's word. People who often look different from you and from me, people from different ethnic backgrounds, people from different social and and financial backgrounds, people for whom Jesus has died, people that Jesus has made clean. We will work together to continue to gather and hear God's word and share it with anyone who will listen. May God bless our efforts to share this great news that God does not show favoritism but has made all clean. Amen.